Matthew 5, 1-11 Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who, pers- who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. You may be seated. All right, guys, welcome here. Uh, If I don't know you, my name is David, and I love Jesus, love this community, and love what God is doing among us. Um, We're going to be continuing a series we just started on compassion, and for us, it's not just one thing, it's part of being a true disciple of Jesus, and we're going to go into a little bit of what we we see as being a well-rounded individual who's following after the way of Christ, Um, but before we do, uh, by way of introduction, um, in just over a month, I'm going to be visiting one of the, or the largest refugee camp on earth well over a million people living in a very small space. And I'm a little nervous, to be honest, because I've heard stories of the space and I've heard how hard it is to live and how hard it is to interact with it as another person coming in and seeing the pain and the hardship. I'm not quite sure what I'm going to expect to see, but I know that the Lord, even in the midst of that refugee camp, there is a movement of the Holy Spirit, and there's a secret community of believers surrounded by Muslim uh, followers, and in the midst of that, we have the kingdom growing. Jesus, when he stepped into this earth, he looked and saw the circumstances around him, and the circumstances didn't lend themselves to an outbreak of the kingdom, so people thought. Many people at his day and age, they thought that if we just got enough stuff lined up, if we just did enough good things, right things, purified ourselves, then Messiah would come back, but it's completely the opposite. It was the darkness that drew Jesus into man. It was the the need of humanity, the inability of humanity to, to raise ourselves out of our own brokenness. Jesus moved towards that, not away from that. So as we look through this element, compassion is the heart of God come to earth. And the body of Christ, we are seeking to find how. How can we be a people who have the heart of God moving towards those he is reaching. Jesus, when he looked out and saw the crowd, we just read the passage that said he looked out and he saw the crowd. And when he saw him, he, he went up onto a hillside and he sat down. His disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and he started to teach them. 
The second time that Matthew speaks of Jesus as looking and seeing the crowds, it's very similar. It's almost redundant, but it's found in chapter 9. And we started looking at this passage, and I think it's going to be really the, the jumping point for this whole year, is this element where Jesus, when he looks at the crowd, he not only teaches, he doesn't just tell the truth, he doesn't just tell about the world that is coming and the kingdom that he's introducing, he actually mobilizes heaven's resources to meet people in the space of their deepest need. If you're with me, you can read from verse 36 of chapter 9. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless, they were like sheep without shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Let's pray. Jesus, we believe that you are alive today, that you are not at a distance. You care incredibly about us, our lives, and the world around us. And we want to invite the reality, Jesus, that today you look at us with favor, with kindness, with compassion, and not frustration, not judgment, not um, um, just a, a, a negative thought towards us, Lord. You love us. And so, Jesus, I pray that today we would be the recipients of your compassion, your willingness to suffer with us, and we would become part of your compassion. For your name's sake. Amen. Now, as I said before, this is two of the sermons that Jesus teaches within Matthew between here and chapter 11. Frederick Bruner, who's a beautiful scholar, well, he's not beautiful that I know of, but he's very smart and he writes beautifully. I'll have to Google him later. He says this, Jesus, moved by people's helplessness, by their physical and spiritual desolation, Matthew's Jesus forms two major speeches, the first to teach the Christian life, the Sermon on the Mount, and the second to teach Christian mission, the inhaling and exhaling, respectively, of the Christian experience. You see, we are to drink deeply of Jesus, of his ways, of his kingdom. We are to abide and, and, and find our sustenance in Christ and in the world that he is introducing to us. Heaven among us, that was birthed through his life, death, and resurrection. But we are also to breathe out that which we have consumed. We are to be a, a, a tool in the hand of the kingdom former and not merely consumers. And that's foundational with us and how we have desired to cultivate this community is, is to push against the consumerism element of, uh, of typical faith at, at some points and to become contenders. And you heard about the, the idea that we want to live life together, not just kind of in circles, uh, uh, hoarding the goodness, enjoying all the glory, but we want to become a community that contends with each other. We struggle in community and for each other. We want to work to see the kingdom move out beyond us. We have worked so far, like I said, this is two years. We're in year three. The first year, what do we focus on, folks? 
faithful communion. The element of cultivating abiding with our Heavenly Father. We worked a lot on spiritual disciplines of, of prayer and, and, and solitude and working into just developing soft hearts towards God. And that's been hard work. Moving out of the broken history of 2020, many of our hearts were shell-shocked. Many of our, our emotions and our nerves were just fried from, from being just surprised one thing after another thing after another thing. And we had to slowly cultivate hearts that were soft and willing to open up and to engage with God again. And we talked about the idea of cultivating a heart towards God is built on the, the way of love that we find the way that God does things in Exodus where he sees the Israelites, he hears the Israelites, he cares about their plight, and then he moves towards their need on behalf of them. And we find this model to be helpful in our cultivation of love towards God. We desire to come together in community and not merely just talk about this deity, this reality, this force out there, but we force ourselves to go, no, God is a person. We're going to personalize this God. He is here to be known, loved, cherished, and pursued, not merely interacted with, navigated around, and coped with. The same can be said about contending community, man. It's hard for some of us to find our way back to trust others. There's been so much brokenness and tribalism and separation in the last season that, that it's hard to know, is it really worth re-engaging? And some of you are, it's a miracle that you're here today because it would have been easier for you to continue to not be a part of a community known in intimacy. But we practice the same things towards each other that we do towards God, the way of love. We desire to see each other eye to eye. You are human beings, not numbers. You are individuals loved by God, each with your own unique makeup and design. And God has his own dream for you in your life. We not only want to see each other, but we want to listen to the heart of each other. I want to care deeply. I want to make room for you to influence me. And vice versa. Now, we've worked on those two practices or ways of being, faithful communion and contending community. How many of you guys are in a, part, a part of a contending community? Let me see your hands. Oh, yeah. It's pretty good, right? It's, uh, it's great. It's pretty good. It's pretty okay. Um, I've been the recipient of kindness in my group uh, I think it's a special thing when a pastor can be transparent within a group of people that are his brothers and sisters. And I'm so thankful for that. And so that's the, the hope is that we can create places where you can be known truly and you don't have to pretend. And so we're leading in that in, in desire to see that take place. Now, um, for lack of a better illustration, we believe these three things are going to cultivate who we will be as full disciples of Christ is if we are cultivating regularly faithful time with the Lord, contending in community with one another, and engaging in spirit-led compassion, moving with the Spirit of God as He reaches to redeem this world. I almost want you to think about these areas as a plant. So if you were to have three planters in your life, now this is my favorite planter, I have a bulldog, Gus, uh, this is not him. I have a real bulldog at home. Um, but 
it, this is my favorite planter. Um, it used to hold a toilet thingy. Don't judge. Don't judge me. A sweet old lady gave it to me at my last church, and I was grossed out and then washed it, and I was super, super thankful. Um, so if you have other bulldog bathroom things, wash them first, and I'll take them. Uh, within, think, so, think about, so, so think about this. If we have three pots that we're trying to cultivate different things. Pot number one, communion with God. Pot number two, community with one another. Pot number three, uh, compassion uh, led by the Spirit. And if we are growing different things in each one of these, if we're seeing fruit come in these areas of life, am I, am I really opening myself to God and allowing God in com- faithful communion with Him? I'm turning my heart towards Him. I'm allowing Him to form me. And I'm seeing different things come out of that relationship with God. I'm, I'm, I'm identifying that there is peace and patience that, that wasn't there before. Or, or if I'm, I'm cultivating, I'm planting seeds, I'm sowing to the Spirit, as Paul says in Galatians, into the, the, the pot of, of contending community. I'm going to keep showing up even though it's hard. I'm going to drag my kids there even though it's scary. I'm going to do all this stuff. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest. I'm going to open myself up and I'm going to risk getting hurt again. I'm going to sow the seeds of the Spirit. And we begin to see that not only does peace and patience and kindness grow, but other fruits begin to come out where you begin to have soft hearts towards one another. And when you hear a need of a brother and sister, your, your, your reflex is to be like, oh man, I want to pray for you or I want to help you. I want to do the things of Christ. So we're seeing fruits coming there. And we want to do the same thing within the bucket or the planter of spirit-led compassion. Now, my wife planted three plants in this um, and it's my job to make sure they don't die. Okay, Rachel, what kind of plant is this guy? I don't know. Okay, um, that didn't go well. Uh, so that's a, a beautiful begonia. Um, and then this guy, right? You, what's this one? You know what that one is? Okay, that's a hanging plant. Does anybody else know? Green thumb? Show me where are you? Show yourself. Who knows? Okay. Uh, and then there's this little, don't look, Rachel. Don't look, don't look. What is this? Is that, is that really the name? Yeah. Wandering du- Dude? Wow, so modern. To the 2000s. <laughs> they updated it 20 years late with Dude. Okay, uh, so, so my, this, is, this is struggling, this little guy right here. And so if, I'm, if this is my life, or if this is even our church, we've been slow with going like, hey, we're going to go out there and we're going to pursue. We've been working fundamentally on connecting with God, one plant, and cultivating community with another, one another, so that we can become a community of goodness. We don't want to proliferate brokenness. We don't want to proliferate pain. We want to heal and become whole. Therefore, we're able to invite people into goodness. And every one of us, we've lived long enough to have stuff that that we continually need to bring to the feet of Jesus. We're even in relationships. This last week, there was was a, 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 a place, a relationship that I had to amend with somebody in the body, and it was beautiful and gracious and kind, and we were able to cultivate the fruit of faithful determination, where I was able to, to, to continue forward 
with someone where we could have off-ramped. That's true community. And we're going to find hard moments in the same way that we do with communion with God, distractions, children, all that. And the challenges that we have within cultivating good, healthy community, we're going to have challenges that come to us in the face of cultivating compassion. Compassion, Latin, is basically to suffer with. How does that sound? Church, we're stepping into a season where we are truly going to follow the beautiful way of Jesus who who invites us to a life that is outward-focused, not inward-focused. It is a life of adventure, not a life of consumption. It is a life of risk, not safety. And in the, the, the very foundation of it, we are able to do so because we have been claimed by the all-providing one. And we are circled by the loving, supporting ones who are dedicated to you and to me. That even if along the way we, we don't quite do it right or we have a hard time, we are committed. God is committed to us and we are committed to him and to one another and it creates the ability for us to risk being truly loving. I don't know about you, but Jesus describes some stuff that's really hard for me. I'm like, what? You want me to go do that? You want me to go to this refugee camp that I have no ability to transform or change, but I'm just supposed to see, experience, soak it in, allow my heart to be wrecked by it. Man, that's hard. It's so much easier for me to, to spend my time with Jesus, super good, and then go to community and be like, hey guys, this is fun, right? No, no, no. And then be like, ah, I'm afraid to get out there and do that and go talk to those people or do whatever. There's a resistance and a hesitation that I've had to work through, but truly we want to cultivate and see the fruit of the Spirit in this area. So it begins with God's heart and desire that we would be fully formed in communion, community, and compassion. Micah 6, 8, if you've got a Bible, you can flip there quickly. I love uh, Timothy Keller's treatment of this verse, um, reading this book, uh, Generous Justice. It's a great one um, if you're going to be interested in uh, digging a little deeper. Micah 6, 8 says this, Has he not told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you? But to do just, sorry, requires of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with God. As we look at what Jesus is calling us to, we find that many times we will be called into a space of dependence upon him where the intimacy of walking with God is necessary for us to find the space and the way of loving those he puts in front of us. And so that's why there's that element of not merely just go do good, go do justice. No, go do justice and mercy hand in hand with your maker. Because you're going to come into contact with things that you were never intended nor made to fix. We are not the answer to every problem. Our church will not do every ministry. There will be needs that we should not address because some other part of the community is supposed to do so. And so we seek the Lord. We ask him to lead us, to guide us, and to direct us. Now, 
When we look at uh, this passage, Micah 6, 8, we see that the word mercy uh, is chesed, the loyal love of God, and the word justice is mishpat, which uh, Dr. Bashir's talked about last week. Um, uh, one scholar says that in Micah 6, 8, mishpat puts the emphasis on the action, so the actual doing. And chesed puts it on the attitude or motive behind the action. Keller says this, if we are to faithfully walk out God's intention for life, we are to walk with God, then we must do justice out of merciful love. Your heart matters. The motive behind what we do matters. It is entirely possible for us to do a bunch of stuff for the wrong reasons. It's, a, it's, it's entirely possible for us to make a massive difference, but have the hollowness that Jesus in, isn't in it. Now, that doesn't mean it's unimportant. There's great work that's done, not in the name of Jesus, but the church has got a job. The church is to bring Jesus into those places. And yes, bring mercy in the spaces, but unless Jesus is being embodied in how we do it, it's not, it's not what we're supposed to be doing. The church is to love and walk out justice and mercy, but do it out of a loving heart. And so we got to slow down. Because we can do damage to the name of Jesus in trying to do justice for me. We can do damage to the name of Jesus by trying to, to prove to others that we are a good church or a good community or we really mean it if we don't walk in the way of Jesus. We can do good for the world yet look nothing like Jesus and it's a net negative overall. You see, the world is watching. The world wants to see what Jesus is like and there's a massive billboard all around North America and Western culture of what Jesus looks like. It's called the American church. And man, there's some beautiful representations of it, but there's also some really messy versions of it. Versions of Jesus that it, that's easy to walk away from. <laughs> versions of Jesus that's like, I, I don't want anything to do with that. And so it is to us to be completely locked with Jesus, lockstep, slowly moving with the Spirit not pressing agenda, but responding to what God is doing. It takes us out of the driver's seat. It takes us out of the place to gain credit. It takes us out of the spotlight altogether. We're just following. That's all. What, what if, what if we're, there was a community of people who just cared to help people experience the pure kindness of Jesus? Without any invitation, without any hashtag, without any hook hidden in, just experience the love of Jesus. What if there was a community of people who were so determined to see Jesus transform and renew our area that, that we didn't care where people ended up worshiping just so long as they worship Jesus? What if we were able to be a community of people who could keep our hands off of the glory and, and walk with Jesus behind him in humility and just say, Jesus, just point the way. 
And I'm going to do my best to be brave. We've got to push on. I'm sorry. Um, Matthew 9, 36, we return to that passage. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to the disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Why didn't Jesus just send the disciples out immediately? Because if you fast forward, he goes, Okay, I'm going to pick my 12. We're not going to read all their names because I'm not long. And he goes, go, go into the harvest. Go, go bring the healing and announce the kingdom in my stead. Why doesn't he just send them out? Go on, do it. Why does he say, stop, look at the need, pray? Why does he say, pray earnestly? It's not just, oh, dear Lord, please help the people who are hurting and people who are lost and people who are bruised and beat up and nobody looking after them. Oh, Lord, please bless them. All right, let's go save some lives. You know what I'm saying? Let's go take Jesus to them. Why does he say, stop? Hit your knees, close your eyes, fill your mind with the situation of who these people are. They are harassed. They are disturbed. They are troubled. They are confused. They are, they are, being, they are being moved in ways that are messing with their equilibrium. They are being persuaded in a way and abandoned to their own ends. They're, they're left wounded and, and left alone, and, and they're helpless. Why does Jesus care? Well, these very people we read in verse 5 of 10, where Jesus actually sends out the disciples, this is just past. These 12 he sent, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Why does Jesus care about these sheep? They're his. They're his. If you were to go back in the Old Testament, many of you know this, that, that God bound himself to the people of Israel. And he's like, man, I'm going to be like a shepherd to you. And in my, in my absence, I'm going to place people over you who are going to guide and direct you. Sometimes it'll be a king. Sometimes it'll be priests. And it'll be the religious leaders. And they should be tending to you. They should be cultivating your spirit. They should be looking after you. And then he sees in this circumstance that, that this is not what's happening. Jesus shows up on, on the scene and he sees the crowds of people, not in a detached way of like, that's my family that is harassed. That's my brother, my sister, who are, who are being uh, mangled and abandoned. They're hurting and they're, they're, nobody's attending to them. That's why his heart is like viscerally affected. It's like, ouch! Anybody ever seen your child or a family member suffer and you can do nothing about it? It's like, I wish I could take this from you, but I can't. That's guts, right? That's the word for compassion. It is a visceral word. Compassion. It's like when your womb is being tugged upon like a mother. Now, we see that Jesus is attached to these people because they are his own. Isaiah 49, 15 says this, even though they were lost, and this is spoken of 
old version Israel, but still applies to even this current moment with Jesus. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? But even if she, or even if these may forget, I will not forget you. Some of you have been neglected by parents. Let's just take it right there. You have been left unattended to you. You've got reactiveness today. You carry within your body this desire to be seen and cared for. You don't even know why it's there. It's probably part of it is you didn't receive the attention that you needed in those moments in your formation. And so as we walk as humans in this world, Jesus is speaking, going like, it is crazy to think like that a mom who's nursing would forget about her child for a number of reasons, y'all. But even if they would, I will never forget you. And so it is in this moment when Jesus comes to earth, he says, I have not forgotten my sheep. I've not forgotten my family. I'm still going to come as the good shepherd to claim those who are unclaimed. I'm going to pursue the harassed and the helpless. I'm going to bind up the wounds and I'm going to care for the lost. The sad reality of the Israelites at this time is that those who were supposed to be caring for them were actually causing pain. The hands that were supposed to heal were bringing harm. You know how messed up that does? You know what that does to our brains? Some of y'all going, yep. (laughs) Yeah, I got lots of therapy bills to prove it, right? Jesus, at the end of Matthew, says this, in the same neighborhood. Then Jesus said, verse, 20, verse 1 of 23, then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes, the Pharisees, man, they sit on Moses' seat, so they carry the authority of being the interpreters of the law, so do and observe whatever they tell you to do, but not the works that they do. What Jesus is saying is that sometimes people, especially in power, they will say all the right things, but everything of what they're doing is wrong and broken and twisted. Sometimes you can, the, the words may be true, but something off is happening. And some of that is actually one of the most insidious forms of abuse and brokenness. He goes on to say, For they preach but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves, they're not willing to move them with their finger. I gotta be honest, when I read this passage, um, I remember I was in the basement of my in-law's place in Canada, we were visiting, and I was listening to the scripture, reading the scripture, and at this point I was young, I was probably 25, and I was um, having a lot of, I was working at a large church and really loving the preaching ministry that I got to be a part of. We had just come from the mission field from England where we were for two years, and we saw how hard it was to be a follower of Jesus in a post-Christian world. We saw how limited the funds were. We saw how difficult it was, and then we came back, and, and I got hired at this church that there was, lot, there was lots And there was waste going on. And I was just like, what is going on here? And it messed with me. I was like, what are you guys doing? 
And to be honest, there was like this anger that came up within me. Some of it righteous, some of it not. And I remember being frustrated with the church. And when I got to the stage, I was like, yeah, I'm really going to say it straight. I'm going to preach hard and I'm going to boom, boom, boom. And oh, yeah, this is, ooh, that's going to really convict them. And I remember thinking at a young age, like the most impactful thing I can do for the church is like call them out and like, like give them their spankings. You know what I mean? Like try and like convince the church to move the direction they are. And I know there's space for prophecy or the prophetic ministry to like speak powerfully into moments. I get that. There's times to call people to a way of life. But I remember reading this verse going like, man, I'm so good at teaching people about what God expects of them. But I remember just like being so brokenhearted going like, man, I'm so good at telling people what they should be, tying up these burdens on people's back. True, yeah. But not being willing to lift a finger to help them. And saying the truth is not the complete work of compassion. Saying the truth is not the complete work of following Jesus. Saying the truth is not the work of being in my place of teaching. Saying the work and then offering my heart and my intention to say, I want to help you as I try and walk this weighty way of living the way of Jesus out. And so that's my heart. It changed me in that day. In that moment, I was like, man, Jesus is like, hey, you know what? I love that you love the Bible. I love that you have high desire for people and the way they should live in the world. And my bride, you want them to be worthy of me. Yes, I love your heart, David. But man, you got to remember, that's my bride that you're upset at, that you're yelling at, that you're cultivating frustration towards, that you're angry about. I love her. And so in that day, I was like, just repentance and it was like oh and it invited me into a fuller way of ministry where where I see Jesus coming both full of grace and truth and he invites us to do similar things however that's not what the people of Israel were receiving they had people who were piling on expectations Law upon law upon law upon law. You know what they would call you if you were unable to fulfill the perfect, massive, weighty way of following the Lord? Sinner. They lumped you in the same group as tax collectors and sex workers. They would call you a sinner. Why? Because you were in that same space and like rebelling against God? No, because you worked 12 hours a day so that you could feed your family and you had not the time to follow the religiosity and the rules and the regulations, sinner. And so Jesus comes and he's like, man, these people are harassed. They're just living. They've got no way to succeed. There's no image being given to them that allows them the space for them to really engage with my heart and my ways. And Jesus says, man, I, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Oh, that we would be a community of people that would be so much more for mercy than ritual, rule, expectation, or our own preference. 
These people were tied down and burdened with nobody to help them. Not only that, they do all that they, their deeds they do to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries, that is, uh, images or, or elements of their garb, broad and their fringes long, and they love uh, the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogue. Phylacteries, those are boxes that they would tie to themselves with God's word in it, and they would actually either make them larger or longer, or they would keep them on. They were supposed to wear them three times a day. Some of them wore them all the time to show everybody they're really, really righteous. It's all for show. That doesn't happen in the church. Thank goodness. They would extend the edges of their garment to remind themselves of the words of their God. One tribe or one school of thought, you know, there was a couple. They made them even longer. It was like their gang sign. It was like, yeah, that's right, what's up? We really, really remember. It's like, what? Tribalism? Really? That's not the way of God. That's not the way of the kingdom. They were helpless, meaning there was nobody to scoop them up. Ezekiel 34 kind of describes some of what was going on um, in a different time, but similar. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, with force and harshness you rule them. So they were scattered because there, were, there was no shepherd and they became full food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. Sheep without a shepherd. Ones that Jesus claimed as his own. Ones that Jesus spoke the words in Matthew 11, come to me. All of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, my way of being is easy. My burden is light. Now, what if this is the Jesus that we introduced people to? It's like, man, I see you. I see how confusing the last few years have been. I see how everybody had an opinion about what you should do or not do, say or not say. There was rules upon rules upon rules upon rules. Some people made rules about rules. Weighed down, I see you. I hope this is the Jesus you know, who, who has a, a, an open lap for you to just collapse in and to be held up in the midst of all that life brings. Frederick Buhner, another quote, he says, the people's main religious problem is that they are terrified by their spiritual leaders in God's name and that they are overloaded with all sorts of scruples and prohibitions instead of with God's grace. Let us be a grace-filled church. The second reason that Jesus went after these lost sheep of Israel is that he had not only committed to them, but he had a purpose for them. If you know Old Testament literature, you know that God said and always anticipated for Israel to be the light to the nations. 
Isaiah 61 is one such reference. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And the nation shall come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. They were intended to be the light of the world. Therefore, Jesus wasn't quick to pass over them and say, I'm going to start fresh. He's going, no, I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to pursue you because I have bound myself to you. God is not anxious to move on past you. He wants to see us step into everything he called us to. Matthew 5, 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And Jesus looks at that salt and says, I'm not giving up. You are mine and I'm not giving up on you. He looks at the flickering flames and says, you are the light of the world. And I'm the Messiah who's going to fan that flame back into full light so that the light that has dawned upon you, i.e. Jesus, the light of the world, who came here to enlighten ourselves through his spirit, he calls us, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. You want to talk about compassion in this day and age? You want to talk about a needed service that the world needs, whether they know it or not? They need a light light, a city on a hill, a point of reference as they're in the darkness, moving around, wrestling with their faith, walking away, all of it, knowing that there is hope to be found. Will we be a community of of, of Christ who, who cultivate the light of Jesus in our midst? Jesus looked and he saw the crowd. The harvest is plentiful, he says, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. There's a new book. I haven't read it yet, but I've read part of their um, data that they collected. They spent about 100 grand on doing the most exhaustive study on why people have left church in the last uh, couple decades. And they partnered up with uh, someone at Northeastern Illinois University, some political scientists to, to make it legit. And then they've written about their findings. One of the findings they've said is this, more people have left the church in the last 25 years than all the new people who became Christians from the first Great Awakening, the second Great Awakening, and the Billy Graham Crusades combined. More people have left the Church of America in the last 25 years than all of those combined. Two decades ago, the the median congregation size of a church like this would have been about 137. In 2020, they reassessed it. The average or median church size in America was 65 people. Three years later, it's down to the median or middle range church, 60 people. Don't be afraid, friends. Don't be afraid as the world becomes more difficult to hold fast to the truth and to cultivate uh, depth and meaning with God, one another, and the world, it will become more difficult. It will become less socially advantageous for you to, to, to identify with Jesus. 
the, 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 the caricatures will become more drastic that you are having to show a different perspective, a different image of Jesus. And let me tell you this, as somebody who has done ministry in, in the post-Christian world in England, knowing you will need a strong community around you. You will need people to share that same breath of life with. The study goes on to show that 15% of Americans have become de-churched. So people who once went to church at least once a month, who would now say they go to church maybe once a year or not at all, 15% of Americans have moved from the first category once a month to the once a year or not at all. 15% of the American population is roughly just over 46 million people. Some of these people have left the church for two different reasons. They, they look, they, there's a number of reasons, but primarily it's what they've described as casually de-churched, which means you moved, your friends stopped going, and you haven't found a way back. You got out of habit, online COVID church just didn't work, and it's pretty great to sleep in on a Sunday. Amen? Uh, Y'all night church people know that. We had a good season. We had a good run, right? Um, the other half are, so first, casually de-churched. Second group of people are church casualties. They've been wounded with their interaction with church, leadership, other believers. It's been too uncomfortable to stay. And so my question for us is when we think about Jesus coming to this earth who announces himself as the Messiah, the one who the Lord says, I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. This is Matthew 12. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will, he, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. And listen, a bruised reed he's not going to break, and a smoldering wick he's not going to quench. Listen, the church is the light of the world. And if you're here today and your flame is just flickering, man, Jesus holds that as precious. That is no small thing to Jesus. Your faithfulness. And some of you are wrestling. And some of you are beat up and you're not sure if you want to keep going. You're like a bruised reed that's just, man. He will not break you. He will not cast you aside. He will not throw you out. He will mend you back to care. Jesus says in the New Testament, that he is the good shepherd and he will bind up the brokenhearted. He will pursue the lost and he will be, bring back the strayed. So who? Who are the lost sheep of the church today? Who are those who are unforgotten by God but missing? 
Who are the flickering flames? Who haven't found their way back. They're holding on to Jesus, but they're just alone in the wind. These are who Jesus would say to us if he were to show up. I have compassion on them. My gut moves for them. I see them being harassed by the questions, by the struggle, by the pain, by the inability to ratify all that they're hearing in culture and all that they're seeing in the word and all that they're seeing in the church. They're struggling. I'm calling us to be a people of prayer in 2024. I'm calling us to be a people of contending who have on our lips the names of those who have, have lost their way, who have wandered off your children, your grandchildren, your siblings, those who knew God, who they were part of God. They are the light of the world, yet they're flickering and struggling. What if we become a people who, who constantly have them in our minds, that, that we, we are determined to see them, to not just, I don't know what happened to them, to bring them to our mind in the presence of God because we don't need to just go like, man, I don't know what's wrong with them. They're slacking off, blah, blah, blah. Whatever comes to your mind, that's human perspective. Jesus says, look at the sheep. They're lost, they're broken, they're abandoned. Pray, get into my presence and think with me about them. Allow my vision of them to become your vision of them so that you can see the preciousness, the personhood, the specific cares and needs of the individuals. Oh, Jesus' grace is like a sniper rifle when it's walking and carried out through us. Oh, when we're carried on and just following with him, the Lord opens the doors and we simply walk into the harvest of what he's doing. What if we became a people of prayer? What if you shared with me that person who comes to your mind. And I, and, I, and I said that person's name in the presence of Jesus regularly. Do you know how powerful that is? You're a child of the king, and you're like, life is busy. He knows it. He's like, oh, cool, they're taking time with me. Beautiful, I love it when you do that. And then you, face to face with Almighty God, you take time to not talk about only yourself, but to just speak the names of these individuals in the presence of God. Oh, man. Some of you need to add your voice to the cry of the saints. Some, some names need to be brought before the place and plate of Jesus. And hopes need to rise but to do this takes our heart. Takes our heart to carry them with us into the presence of God. And that, my friends, is costly. That, my friends, is sacrificial. That, my friends, will cost us. Every time we look at communion, we know that that's the way that Jesus' heart works towards us.
Jesus carried within himself the weight of our personhood. He gives us the dignity of wrestling and pushing away from him and rejecting him and saying yes to him. He gives us the dignity of of that true interaction. And amidst all of our wrestling and our need for compassion from Jesus, he's like, listen, you're safe with me. I have laid my life down for you. I've taken your sin upon myself. And this is the truth of the kingdom, that Jesus has paid it all, and that we are set free from sin and shame and death, and we are able then to no longer cover my sin, cover my shame, resist death. We are able to be free, freely cared for, to offer our lives to one another, to God and each other, and the world around us. Let me pray. Let me pray. Lord, we are thankful for your kindness to us. We we desire to see our hearts, God, that can easily struggle to engage with just the weight of need around us. Lord, thank you that you give us a place to start. You don't just say, hey, there's a whole bunch of need on the other side of the world. Go fix it. You say, pray. You say, wait. You say, cultivate your heart with my heart. So that as you interact with need, you will know what I'm calling you to and I will whisper to you. God, you've given us relationships and there are family members, Jesus, in your family, the kingdom of God, the family of the church, that they're not here. And so I'll just start, Dad. I'm going to say, please, will you send laborers, workers, people to them? I don't know if it's me. I don't know if it's us, but please, Bring in people, Lord. Send people into these places of need. God, where they're hungering and thirsting for you. So Jesus, we bring to you the names of individuals, of family members. I'm gonna encourage you right now with your eyes closed just to whisper any names that came to your mind as I've been speaking. who desperately need to be close to Jesus. Who are running a high risk of fading. I'm just gonna ask you to whisper those names to Jesus. Jesus, we love you and we thank you. We bring to you these precious ones that we love and we know that it's just the beginning. 
at the end of Matthew, you send the disciples to the ends of the earth, Jesus. But today we start with those on the edges of our world. And we ask you to move towards the edges, to draw them to your sweet self. God, we offer our hearts, our care towards this end. In Jesus' name, amen. During these last couple songs, you can take communion up here or there's some communion in the back as well, if that's better for you. God bless you.